episode 303, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., season 6, episode 6, Inescapable. Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome again to an episode, finally an episode about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Welcome to Level 7, the podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that that entails. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here with Agent Samantha. How you doing, Agent Samantha? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's, (laughs) you know why I'm doing wonderful? Why? Busy season done i am done with it and i'm not sure as far as like our timeline timey-wimey stuff what episode gets released first but this is the first episode that we are recording after my busy season is done and after our computer issues are done and after it's we're just recording again and it's fun (laughs) so here we are and here we are to talk about inescapable the sixth episode of the sixth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and this is an episode that, before I watched it, someone said that it was their favorite episode of all time. It is. It still is. Is it really? It's it's a really great episode. I love it. And that someone would be you. I, uh, you know, tried to, um, you know, do some build up there, and I think that, that the payoff was right there with, with your answer. So, yeah, I have to say, I mean... Let's not bury the lead here. This was a fantastic episode. Oh, it was wonderful. This was really neat, really funny. Um, There was a moment of almost cheese where I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And we'll talk about that, I think, when we get to it. But yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this episode, too, because this is a world building, a world building episode. We get backstory. We get um, some, you know, well, it's the, it's all the inner head stuff, you know, whenever you do an episode inside someone's head, you're, you're going to get revelations about the character. And this is a different kind of ship in the bottle episode. Yeah. I mean, they used existing sets for sure with the headquarters. Yes. And they used a bedroom. <laughs> yes. And they used a dorm room. And they used a white room that reminded me of 2001 kind of thing. Yeah, and then uh, an old conference room for for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, that's true. And and then they had the containment pod, which was just kind of out in the middle of low lights. So it was just... In a black space, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe this was a a budget cutting episode, but... The good thing is you have your bottle episodes that are boring because they're all in one location and it's just, hey, here's our characters trying to figure out a problem in this one place and they can't leave this place. Or it's a clip show, which – do you remember Stargate? They used to do clip shows every season. Oh. And it was almost always a a clip show and then – Another episode where it's like we're shifting the budget from that episode over to this episode so we can do an episode with double the budget. And so it's a clip show and then high, high adventure. Well, not lots of special effects. I don't remember Stargate doing that because I didn't watch that much of it, unfortunately. Oh, oh. However, I do remember uh, the show Family Matters doing that. Um, yeah. A lot of those um, for those of us in the U.S., um, if you remember um, – TGIF on ABC. A lot of those sitcoms that aired between 8 and 10 p.m. on Friday nights uh, during that time, um, at least once a season, you would find an episode that's a clip show. Yeah. The one thing that was different then, I think, about a clip show would have been that we didn't we weren't recording TGIF, you know, like. Right. And so when you get a clip show, sometimes it's, hey, I remember that episode. That was fun. 
And sometimes it was, I didn't see that episode. And, and <laughs> you get the backstory that you might have missed out on. So, yeah. It, <laughs> um, TGIF, yeah. Uh, Good times. And then there was that episode. Um, oh, I think it was the first episode of season two of Next Generation. Or maybe it was toward the end. But it was a terrible clip show episode. And it was because of the writer's strike. And so they pulled out an episode that had been written for Star Trek Phase 2. Uh, and they used that as the structure of the script. And then they just dropped in some clip show type things. It was just Riker was poisoned or knocked out something. And as he was unconscious, he was thinking of these things that happened in his past. In Ironically, I do not remember that. And I know I have seen that show from beginning to end at least three or four times. It is not a memorable episode. It is a dumb episode. I know I've seen it twice. Once in original run and once when I did a watch through a couple years ago. But I like I I can't even remember why he was unconscious. I just remember him being unconscious on like a, a gurney kind of thing and being rushed into sick bay. And as that happens, he's having memories. Okay. Yeah. If you're going to do a, a bottle episode, this is the way to do it. You use your existing sets. Sure. And that's great. And you build some cheap sets like a girl's bedroom. That's great. Or that white room that <laughs> was just white, you know, and then you. I'm not sure a, how cheap that white room would be because you have to underlight all of that white flooring. Yeah. I. Okay. I don't know either. I don't know. I'm either. guessing I'm guessing pretty cheap though. I'm guessing that it's it's a lot cheaper than you know doing the special effects of like the crystal entity thing, um the the shrike stuff. But, yeah. But if you're going to do an a a bottle episode, this is the way to do it. Have fun with it. Give us character moments that matter and cuz this is a funny episode in some moments it's really really funny and then it's also a pretty emotional episode and this is the episode i've been waiting for and terrifying. i just didn't know it yet <laughs> this is a perfect example of how joss whedon did um buffy the vampire slayer and angel and a lot of those uh, firefly and a lot of those different kinds of shows this brought me back to those days of television because you can have a heartfelt moment um a funny moment and um, you, you can have whiplash from, from going between these three modes of heartfelt, funny and horror. Well, and funny and horror go hand in hand. True. You know, laughter is oftentimes the release valve that happens after you've had a good scare in, in watching something. So like yes. you have something horrifyingly terrible happening and you laugh at it, not because you're a psychopath laughing at someone dying, but because you emotionally are getting the release of I've been terrified, but it's not real. And a lot of times that laughter is is relief that there's something else going on. And so they, they go hand in hand. And what you do with with a good story like this, you have you're laughing, laughing, laughing. Oh, and then you throw in the scare and you're off, you're, you know, throws you off a little bit because it's funny. And then all of a sudden, again, terrifying. I, I wouldn't call this terrifying, though. For for me anyway, I'm I'm wondering how Daniel Butcher ha would handle this episode because he doesn't like the tense and he doesn't like the scary. Well, I and, was tense <laughs> on my first watch, and unfortunately, now that I've seen this episode about three times, I'm not tense anymore because I'm just enjoying it. Well, because you I know remember, where it's going, like you know where the scary yeah. is going, because the scary buildup leads to two really great punchlines, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and one of them is just a, a sickening punchline. I'm, I'm imagining when I finally get to this episode with my kids, because we're still on that season three. Um, we haven't been watching very much at all because of that busy season I was talking about. But um, we're still in season three. When we get to this one, I'm wondering, because I have a daughter who likes to watch the scary stuff, but doesn't like to watch the scary stuff. You know, like she hmm. she uh, she wants to. And I think part of it is that she just wants to conquer it and prove to her sisters that she can she can make it, you know, and this this will this will give us some good jumps, I think, uh, from yeah. from my girls. 
So, yeah. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the plot because we've talked, we've gushed about it enough. Let's talk about what we're gushing about. So in Act One, it's pretty simple. Fitz and Simmons are reunited, and say it with me, everyone. It feels so good. Feels so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Atara gives them some backstory about their planet being destroyed, and. And then says, you got to find the solution. You're in this prison and your solution to get out is to find our solution. And then Fitz proposes. Of course. Asks Simmons to marry him. And he, he doesn't realize it, but he finally gets a redo on that proposal that he did the first time when she could not hear him. But it's not a redo if he didn't do it in the first place. It's a he redo for her. That. She gets it right. But. Yeah, he doesn't know that. And that's the crux of things. And that's what I'm loving about this is one of those sci-fi things that you can only tell this kind of story with sci-fi. True. Which is yeah. I, I guess you could tell the story in a soap opera sense with using amnesia amnesia. Like someone proposes, gets married, has amnesia, doesn't remember ever being married, and then proposes again without remembering. I, I guess you could go that route. Well, that way is just so cheesy. It is. It's super cheesy. It's, it's done a thousand times. Super melodramatic. This way, it's still cheesy and melodramatic, I guess. If you if you're gonna, you could judge it that way. Um, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not judging it that way though. Um, this is using the sci-fi trope of time travel and exploring. Okay, so what happens here when the time loop gets interrupted and they this is this is what happens emotionally there's a the emotional fallout of this episode is really what i was waiting for and that was for fitz to find out that he had a whole life that he doesn't know because he didn't live it yeah and, and so at this point he proposes he doesn't know he's already been married because he hasn't been married but she has to him which yeah it's 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 melodrama for sure but it's sci-fi melodrama i'm enjoying it and then he's going to be jealous about himself because there is this other form of himself that got to marry marry her first. Totally. And then she's going to be like, "Why do you need to be jealous? It's yourself." <laughs> but, but it wasn't him, you know. And, there's uh, no competition. There's yourself, and then then there's yourself. Well, there would be competition if they hadn't killed off Fitz. True. So if they hadn't killed off Fitz, then you have a situation, and that's what we were thinking about um, before. You know, before Fitz died, we were like, well, what happens when the other Fitz who's out there in space f comes to Earth, you know, and and they, they could have created melodrama in that way. They, they just chose to go this direction. And, and I'm glad they did because it gave us this episode. So. Yes. So they're in this room that gives them everything they need or want and also allows for shared memories, which that's an important detail. And. They're having a great time. They're eating together. They're sitting together. They're, they're reminiscing together. They aren't working on the problem. Until Fitz realizes that our minds aren't going to unlock the prison. Our minds are the prison. And, and that's where things start to change. And that is the end of Act 1. And I'm loving this setup. I'm really enjoying myself. And I'm curious where it's going to go. It does not go anywhere I think it's going to go. Like nothing I was trying to predict is what was happening, except for maybe Enoch at the end. You predicted that? I was thinking it could happen. It wasn't like I – I wasn't predicting it. I was like, well, how are they going to get out of this? I mean Enoch could help them I guess. Um, but that goes against type because he's, he's not – he's trying to logically convince – uh, Atara and her people to not continue with what they're doing. Uh, here in Act Two, he argues that it's unethical, it's dangerous, and that while you might be able to use this as a chronicom, we use this to logically figure out problems. But he then says, "But humans have emotions, emotional problems that get in the way of solving like time travel problems." <laughs> and um, and boy, is he right. <laughs> Boy, is he right. Yes. So let's go to some of the locations of the brain prison. Location one of the brain prison 
is Simmons old room. She turns herself into a little girl because she's trying to avoid the problem. And she goes into a tunnel where can, can we pause here a second? Yeah. I just want to note Fitz's reaction when he saw Simmons as a little girl. He shrieks. He he screams <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I, yeah. I love that they let Fitz continue the the shrieking tendencies that he has when he gets startled and surprised and scared. Well, here's the thing. I wasn't laughing at him. I was laughing with him because that's the sound I make when a dog tries to lick my face. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I understand totally. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, then, my, yeah, my voice should... is not capable physically of shrieking like that. Yeah, and then I cover my mouth because you do not want a dog to lick you in your mouth. So, and upset. <laughs> <laughs> I like his reaction to her when he realized that she's regressed, you know, and um, so Enoch says to Atara that she is, in Fitz's words, the absolute or worst. And then you cut to Fitz and he's talking to Simmons and says, you are being without a doubt the supreme absolute worst. Yes. And that that addition of sup- supreme is just a perfect vocabulary addition to what Fitz is saying there. I just, I just loved it. Just the the character moments here. Um, Um, Plus this episode really shows about in really close tight knit relationships, how there can often be clashing. And here she's not cooperating with him and what they need to do. So he says, because he's so comfortable with her, he says the worst things. You are the supreme absolute worst. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the room. The pan across the room, you have stuffed animals with goggles. Uh, I, <laughs> I love, love it. Yeah, it's really cute. It's, you know, it's a perfect thing. You know, there's a picture of Jane Goodall uh, with the gorillas, and he actually references that later on. Uh, that's, uh, you know, Chekhov's photo of Jane Goodall. Um but references that of, you know, she wants to be there and help the poor little animal that he is, you know. Um, and this is where she goes to think about problems and she gives him a storybook to read. And the storybook is the story of him and her with their uh, animal friends helping them, you know, as, as he's um, lost and she's going with her space friends across the galaxy. And then it turns into dark hold. And he says, Nope, you should not read that. That is a bad book. That is a bad, bad book. And it's just, it's all cute stuff here and it's fun stuff. And I'm wondering, you know, at the beginning when they were saying, when they first just in that room and I was wondering, are we just going to stay in that room? Because the science stuff is appearing and the monolith is appearing and all that stuff. I'm just like, where are they going with this? Are we going to get a whole episode where they're just figuring it out because that's not a fun episode. This is fun. (laughs) This is, this is fun. We're getting character stuff. We get to see Simmons room that she had when she was a child and when she was figuring out who she was and what she wanted to be. And it's clear science. Yeah. That's that's where she's headed. And this is just true. You put, two human minds together you're gonna see all the really dark stuff eventually yeah well let's start with this dark stuff <laughs> Fitz's okay. trick to get Simmons to grow up again oh you know I was surprised they did not pull an Ada here I'm surprised she actually did not show up well he was threatening to bring her and it worked so he didn't need to so I mean story wise yeah. it works um I think maybe real world wise like that's paying another actor and yeah, they may you know, not bring them in and scheduling and, and yeah. Yeah. Um, but he does this right after Enoch says humans have emotional problems and um, he tricks Simmons into growing up by saying, well, I'm just gonna have to bring someone else, an adult to help me solve the adult problem. I know Ada <laughs> and, and Simmons is not going to have that. They argue a little bit about Ada and then they step into the next memory, 
which is when Fitz's body was brought back after being killed. And it, I, I don't know, is it an understatement to say it's emotionally distressing for him? I'd say if I was put in that situation, I would be horrified. This would be horrifying moment number one. Yeah. Because realistically, I mean, you go into a memory of somebody else, a real memory of somebody else, and then you find yourself in a body bag. Yeah. Uh, so she tries to explain some of this stuff. She tries to explain why she didn't explain earlier. Um, <laughs> she calls it, you know, it's the loop at the end of the world, you know, and, and then we see them actually trying to decide, do we go out and find him? This, so this is all happening before the last scene of season five. This is, you know, Colson is still sick. And, and, you know, getting out of bed, you know, he hasn't gone to the beach with May yet where he's sick and on the beach, but here he's, he's getting out of bed. He's, he wants to see, he wants to talk to, to Simmons. And we find out that Simmons is told get to work by Colson. Um, but I like the best part of her explanation was just, she just says there was a lot of death and that's why she didn't, she didn't tell him so soon. Yeah, it's emotionally, I think, satisfying for me then to see this scene, see him deal with it. And it's in a it's a visual. It's a it's a it's a show don't tell kind of a thing where we show him seeing what he would imagine, you know, if, if he was told this stuff. And so instead of having the scene where she says to him, you died, blah, 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 this, this, this. And he's reacting to it. Um, we get a much more visceral way of seeing it so good yeah and and also we get to see colson again yes uh, not sarge colson yes so good so the next stop in their brain uh, trip their, their their trip down memory lane i guess actually um is being in university together and i like this scene <laughs> they look great they look young. They do. They did a great it, job. I don't know if there's hair? any digital manipulation, but it's Simmons. Uh, no, it's, not. it's it's Fitz. His hair. It's, I think that's a wig. It. I'm pretty sure that's a wig. Well, wig or styling, whatever it was, that that sold it for me. I, I hated the haircut that he had on, but yeah, it it was perfect. <laughs> so. I'm sure that's a wig because you need some length to get that curling going, and his hair is much shorter now so i am convinced that is a wig well it, it's good and i'm not sure it's if they really did good. any kind of digital manipulation or not but i felt I like they, they'd get a wig it's cheaper well i mean for the face true but because they looked fresh faced, you know they they're older now i mean we've been we've been with them for six years and they're older now but they looked like they were actually younger than the first time we saw them in, in, uh, you know, episode one. Yeah. And, yeah. I, uh, of course that could just be pure acting. I think it's part of it. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, that's what I'm saying is I, I don't know if there's any digital manipulation, but what, whatever it was, it felt right. It, it felt, it felt good. And there, you know, they're, they're playing out the when she first arrives and then they stop and say, OK, why are we here? What happened here? This is the night I put you in the friend zone. <laughs> I love this. I love that that they were re, re, just reliving this memory. And then they just kind of broke that moment and said, I I remember this moment. This is what happened. And there's an interesting moment here, too, though, where he as he's thinking about things and is thinking about the pain of everything that he's looking at here and he almost comes around to the chromokines chronicoms side. It's like, if they're feeling the same way, think about it. They're all feeling the same way as all this pain. Maybe I should help them. Maybe I should do this. Uh, but that gets interrupted when they realize that if they're stuck in his mind, then they're stuck with the things in his mind which means they are 
stuck with evil Leopold Leopold in his Dr. mind. Dr. Leopold Fitz, yeah. Yeah, Hydra Fitz. Yep. And... Which he came onto screen in that suit, that haircut, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is so distracting for me with this character, because he looks so good in that style. I hate but that But I know beard. he's just so evil. <laughs> I hate that goatee, though. <laughs> uh, so he shoots them, he chases them with Hydra agent kind of things, and then they run away back into his room, into her room, rather, where a music box is there that's acting really weird, falls off a table, and suddenly we've got the ring ghost. And yeah, Ringu. Well, and not only that, like they name check it. Yeah. The, in Actually, the next scene. When she appeared, I was not horrified. I was laughing because um, I was in a Japanese cinema film class when Ringu was just beginning to cross the Pacific over to um, the uh, North America and enter Hollywood. And and so we got to actually watch some of the Ringu movies in Japanese with uh, English subtitles before um, The Ring was released here in the U.S. And so I actually have a really special place in my heart for these movies. Well, I don't. I've never seen them. I it's just They're terrifying. Well, it, it's <laughs> just part of I, I just haven't gotten around to it. I don't have a real urgency to do so um but of course culturally i mean pop culturally i should say we've yeah you know you've seen the commercials and this and that and and here she is and she's looking like that and i'm thinking oh it's just like was it the ring uh you know and then in the next scene he name checks it he actually says you know you came back as a as ringu yeah 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 uh, did you notice her costuming that they manipulated and changed? I did not. This is really interesting. So she had the gold forehead and the blue flowy clothes from last season when she was stuck as as a slave. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, they put the blouse from when she was stuck way out across the universe on that other planet. Okay. Uh, from when she went through the first stone. The first monolith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, she was wearing the blouse she was wearing during that time over the blue flowy outfit. So here's costuming from two really difficult periods of her time. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Huh. And then she looks like she hasn't had a bath in, you know, about a month. And, and has never brushed her teeth. Right. Ever. <laughs> yes. And horrifying. Yeah, I just... I. I find but, <laughs> it more gross than horrifying, and it just yeah yeah, which is the point. But still, I, I was just me personally because of my own experience. I was laughing. So, well, but you you brought up the two these two major horrifying moments for her, uh, and then we come back from the commercial. And we find out the reason why this was going on. Why the uh, the little uh, music box brings forth the Ringu demon thing. Is, because uh, she's so English. Right. Well, <laughs> Daddy said, put all your troubles in a little box. You know, and, and so there it is, literally, the little box that she was putting all of her troubles into. And it's also funny because you, just today, actually, I was having a um, one-on-one with one of my, my employees. And um, we were talking about different personality types and the Enneagram and, and different things like that. I'm not very familiar with the Enneagram. And we we're talking about um, personality type. I think it's seven. And how they're pain avoiders. And I'm just like, oh, that 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 reminds me of Simmons' little box that she has. That she just stuffed all her troubles into the little box and doesn't think about them. And they just get put away. And it works perfectly until they fall into the room because they're being chased by evil Fitz. And Fitz knocks the table and the box falls off the table. And now we've got two head head demons for lack of a better term, we have we have two of these things chasing them around, and yeah, um, <laughs> I think it was over on the Marvel Wikia. And they were they referred to um, the two horror versions of themselves as the id of each character. Uh, the id being the impulsive, going to do what I want to do sort of side of their personalities. 
Yeah, I mean, literally in the episode, Simmons calls out the ego um, for for uh, Fitz, and then Fitz calls the uh, her thing the the id. I don't know if I would agree with that assessment, though. No, that I don't think that these are id creatures. I I think that these um these are their dark sides. These are the sides that they would prefer to have be hidden. Um, but what happens though, well, we'll get to it. Um, but these are the, the sides of them that lash out. These are the sides of them that are trying to take what they need or want. Um, and so for Simmons, it's, it's lashing out and saying horrible, horrible things yeah. and, and, uh, doing horrible, horrible things. And, you know, um, saying to Fitz that you cause pain and now it's my turn. And, and actually that part of Simmons is the first part to call out that you cause me pain. Um, and then later on they, they, they throw it at each other. But, um, but before we get to that, we get a great scene and they're back at the lighthouse. They're talking things through in the control room and then they say every nightmare that we've had can be traced back to a single moment. And that moment is meeting Coulson. It's a great moment. It is. They might trace it back to awfulness, but um, but I love the world building here. I love I love the way we get to see them get recruited because we never saw them get recruited. We saw Ward get recruited. We saw May get recruited. We saw uh, Sky get recruited. Daisy get recruited. But we didn't see them. They were just already there. And so Daisy got brought on. And we assumed on. that they were one person at first. Right. Just like Colson did yeah. here. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and, and so in the, in that pilot episode, Daisy gets brought on, uh, onto the bus and she meets them and they've already been working for a little while with Colson. Um, but now we see how he, he brought them onto his team to go do field work. And they're saying maybe He's we so- Never should have done that, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and they're so cute and so young. And now I'm beginning to wonder if maybe you're right that somehow with CGI they aged them down or, and made them all look younger because um, Coulson looks vastly different in this scene versus the earlier scene where uh, they were talking about what to do since Fitz is dead. Well, Coulson in that scene, he, he looked rough. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's where the digital manipulation was was in that scene because uh, he had, I mean, he had the scruff and and just had that that really awful pallor to his skin and also you know just just a a stone set jaw kind of thing and here in this scene he's he's grinning he's you know joking he he's he's Coulson as we met him. What I love about this. The ending of the scene, though, is is something that I I don't know. Coulson says it, and it's something I've thought about, and it's something that I've um, had brought up with with different things. But he says to be out there, seeing the lives you're changing, you end up being the one most changed by it, and and that's the kind of thing that you know teachers. Uh, I mean, anybody who works with people um, on almost any level. You know, like uh, if you're a nice person <laughs> and you're doing your job or whatever it is that you want to do to help people, you end up being the one changed by it as well. You know, and um, and that's what he says to convince them to to go out in the field with him is that you get to be out there and see the lives that you're changing, not just be in a lab doing the stuff but never actually seeing any results. And I mean, that's it. You, you know, whatever you're doing, you want to see results. You want to see that you're actually making a difference. You want to see that you're actually doing something that matters. But, and you can also see in this scene that I was going to say Simon falls in love with Coulson, but no, I think she really just falls in love with the idea of this job. And she's excited about it. Yeah, but he wins them over. He's the one that wins them over. Yeah. And and he's the one that inspires them, and we we just watched an episode of Teen Titans Go uh, a couple days ago where um, Robin keeps giving these inspirational speeches 
for them to keep on going because they've fallen through the crust of the earth and they're in this hellish landscape. And But every time he gets them to stand up and keep on moving forward, something terrible happens, like rocks fall on them or something. And oh. then and then as they're like pulling themselves from the rubble, he gives them another just inspiring speech. It's like, we're going to do this. We're going to rise above this like eagles. And they're like, it's Cyborg and Beast Boy. I can't help it. I'm getting inspired. No. And they... And then something awful happens again, and it's it's really funny. But that's I was reminded of that when when Coulson gives that rousing speech to them, gets them inspired. But this is the moment where everything awful that ever happened to them, you know, nothing before this lived up to that as far as awfulness. And, yeah, and true. So they trace that. But well, <laughs> we also didn't get to see Fitz's childhood. We get to hear hear right, about right. it, but. From what I understand, it that was pretty awful too. Yeah, but the awfulness together that they experienced and shared—that's yes. And but but that's the thing is you know if you if you're going to shield yourself from bad, then you are shielding yourself from everything. You cannot siphon or, or filter rather. You can't filter and and experience life just filtering all the bad out and only accepting the good. If you're going to put yourself out there relationally or if you're going to put yourself out there in any way, you, you're going to accept bad that comes with the good. You're never going to get the, the good consequences without knowing that, hey, we live in a world where bad stuff happens and where people aren't perfect and people are going to let you down. But that's very true. They're also going to lift you up and, and they're also going to help build you up. And if you don't take the risk of being knocked down, then you're never going to experience being lifted up. And it that's where the trade-off is for them. You know, they went out and experienced other planets, other worlds, but there's also the horrible things that happened to them along the way. And so that brings us to Act Five. First of all, Fitz ends up with Ring Simmons, and this is where she uses a bone knife to cut out his heart. And then this is the punchline that was the first punchline that was just so great. I laughed so hard at this because she pulls out his heart and then looks at him and says, uh, you said this was mine earlier. <laughs> and I, <laughs> is it cheesy? Yes. Is it an obvious joke? Yeah, maybe. Did it just catch me at just the right moment and make me laugh? You bet. I loved it. That it. is exactly what you would find on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Exactly. And then Simmons ends up with Hydra Fitz. Yes. And so and he is going to um, erase her brain, basically. And um, But in Act 5, this is where they're sharing their minds together. And they realize we're not alone. We have each other and we have friends. And this is our imagination. And so uh, Quake comes and Mac comes and fights and they're able to fight back. And then they come together in the containment pod because Ring Simmons ate Mac's head and Hydra Fitz comes <laughs> and they're trapped in the containment pod with them walking around. And I'm just thinking to myself, OK, you've got the two evil things out there. Are they going to, like, kill each other? You know, I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to kill each other. That's what's going to happen. And and we're getting all this buildup, you know. So first we get the argument. Let's talk about the argument. Okay, yeah. Basically, the argument comes down to they they realize all our pain comes from, from each other. <laughs> and then they're yelling at each other. And... That's yelling. every relationship argument. Right. No, it is. <laughs> they love each other. And they, as they're yelling at each other, are saying, I would do it all again. You know, I would go through all that pain again for you. And and then they stop arguing because they realize that they're not arguing anymore. <laughs> they're yelling at each other about how much they love each other. Then they're going to go face the creatures together. And this is where I'm just, okay, yeah, those creatures, they're going to get out there. We have all this buildup. Those creatures are not going to be, there's not going to be a fight. They're dead. They killed each other. Or, or one of them is out there standing over the other one. I was not expecting this. <laughs> I was not expecting what they find outside the pod. 
which is the other punchline. <laughs> that their darker selves, their ids, their their darker natures are just in love with each other. Yeah, they are <laughs> going to town. And they end which, up on the ground and Fitz and Simmons are trying to figure out what's that going. And Which yeah. this just really proves that Fitz and Simmons are perfect for each other because even their dark sides are attracted to each other. Well, you know, I think that there's something to that. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I think that um this is this is a, a mark of a good relationship. This is where you see that Fitz and Simmons, they do go well together and, and their dark sides or their, you know, their, their oppressed nature or whatever you want to say about what it, whatever Fitz and, and Ringu Simmons, Simmons are, um, they're a match, you know, and they complement each other, even in their weaknesses or even in their darknesses and, and even they, but they complement each other and this is going to allow, allow them to get out of here and yeah, I I just think this is a great episode that just I remember not wanting them to get together. I remember in the first season, in the second season, not wanting them to get together. I did not applaud when they, you know, proclaimed their love for each other because I, I didn't want that. I wanted the friendship to be there, you know. I and, remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember thinking. Well, just get off your high horse and just enjoy because they are the the one true pairing for me in this show. Well, I wasn't on a high horse. I mean, it just I didn't want it, you know, and I, I spoke out about it. So maybe it was a high horse. But <laughs> point being, I remember not wanting them together. And then this episode at this point in time in my Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. experience, I am loving every minute of it. And this is, yeah, they are the pairing. They are the perfect pairing. Much per, more perfect than, than I don't know, May and Coulson. Let's, let's just say that. But, um, yeah. And then we get another proposal. We're back to the beginning of the episode with a proposal. And they decide we're not going to help them. You know, we're just going to stay here. And then Natara says, well, not together, you're not. And falls mm -hmm. over. And this is where we find out that Enoch has done something off screen that was probably amazing and super high budget stuff, but it works better as a punchline because yeah. they wake up, they see everyone lying on the floor and his line is, I've taken a bold action. That's it. Yeah. And again, I mean, this is another Whedon-esque type thing that you would have seen on another one of Joss Sweden's shows. It's very much like, uh, oh, I can't think of an example right now. Well, it's not just a Whedon thing. I mean, this is, it's also a postmodern thing, you know, where let's skip the chase, not don't cut to the chase, skip the chase. And, and they just skip it because it's not important anyway. So the escape with the Tron disc transportation device that lets you travel great distances. And just before they disappear, Simmons says, Oh, and you're a grandfather. Now it's a great laugh line, but it also makes me wonder if we were wrong about TV pregnancy Simmons. She doesn't say you're a father. She says you're a grandfather. You're a grandfather. Yeah. yeah, that's the moment I realized that she was not pregnant at that time. Yeah, because it just never has been brought up. And there's, of course, there have been many opportunities for her to bring other stuff up. And she yes. just never does. But, yeah, I think we just have to just let Put it go. Put that went to bed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Put that baby to bed. Because that baby isn't a baby because it was never a thing at all, except for in our minds. Yeah. But yeah, it also helps us avoid a really, really awkward situation, which is if there was a baby back home that's just a few months old that she left behind for a year, there's that. Mm -hmm. Also, that baby is Fitz's, but it's not this Fitz's. 
So there's that. And we already had all the emotional fallout of, you know, other fits living a life that he could never have. Although he's going to have it possibly now, but probably for the best. Here's the other thing too. You would have a mom first time uh, experiencing motherhood for the first time. Would she leave Fitz behind or would she leave the baby behind? And the idea of her leaving the baby behind sounds so cruel. Yeah, I don't like that. And we were wondering about that. But so anyway, uh, anything more about Fitz and Simmons or Enoch before we talk about Mac? Fingers crossed that they will have a baby in an upcoming season. Because I, I want to see this like three men and a baby situation between Shield, the Shield crew, and <laughs> so like uh, Fitz and Deke and Mac taking care of the baby. Yes. No, not, not Fitz. Ne- not necessarily. The Fitz is the this. dad. Fitz yeah. is Fitz is the dad. I don't want to see him in that situation where it's like we can't handle this baby. He's the dad. But, he can handle but it. Isn't one of the men in three men and a, and a baby the father of the baby? Yes, but not from birth. I mean, he wasn't with the child when it was born and helping raise, ah. you know, and, and I can't remember how the, it all turned out at the end, but the idea was one of those three men was the, the baby's father and they didn't know which one. And so they were all taking care of the baby and they were all acting as if they were the father. And then I don't remember how that ended, but I don't either. It's been so long. Star Trek connection. Leonard Nimoy directed that movie. Ah. Now I want now um, I'm getting rid of my Netflix DVD and now I'm beginning to regret it. Hmm. Mm. Use the library, maybe they'll have it. Oh, they might, yeah. Yeah. And you can even do some streaming with a library app. Um there's some libraries that are set up with a certain app or two where you just put in your library card and you're able to check out a movie for free on the app that you would also be able to check out a book uh, and that kind of thing. So, okay. I'll look into that. Yeah. Yeah. Check it, check it out. I think my library system might, I'll have to go look. So let's talk about Mac. Mac is overjoyed that Fitz is alive. And he tries to dramatically tell Daisy (laughs) that the people who destroyed the Chronicom's planet are there with them right now but she interrupts his moment (laughs) this is just a not not great tag scene (laughs) well no this is this is again this is another whedon-esque style humor moment i mean you have this big dramatic roll up and then the music cuts and they're like oh yeah that thing's happening yeah yeah that's what's happening well but then one step further he then goes ahead and finishes it you know so she she finishes it for him and he says, well, I was trying to be dramatic, but yes, they're here. And he, so he still gets the opportunity to say it in a dramatic way. But, uh, but we do get the punchline of the joke. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's played for it's, – it's, it's dramatic at first and then played for laughs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's Whedon-esque. That's the style. It is. Yeah. It is. All right. Well, that's our episode. Anything – you want to add before we do close things down? Uh, I would like to give a very special thank you to our Patreon patrons, Andrew, Jeffrey, Tassel, 084, Blessed Cheesemaker, and Dre. Thank you very much. And I would like to thank everyone for listening. I would like to thank you for sending in feedback and sending in messages and uh, having conversations with us. And yeah, I, I think that it is safe to say that I would never – ever, 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 ever say these words about you, our listeners, because it's not true. I would never say this. I would never say that you are being, without a doubt, the supreme, absolute worst. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling 177-55-LEVEL-7. 
You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level seven or connect with us on Twitter where we're level seven pod. And remember, the seven is spelled out. Our theme music is Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls. And you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to level seven is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award winning and award nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews and more at noodle.mx. And once again, thanks for listening. So, um, anything, let's see here. Okay, so I have an example of um, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer about how this that same kind of style was played out on their show. Okay. Uh, in one of the later seasons, there was this um, evil god from another dimension who is trying to get back to her dimension, and so she wants, wants to do is destroy everything, of course. Um, and um, so everybody's hiding out, I think, think in Xander's parents basement and they're basically all scared and they're all also having sort of a uh, a sleepover situation so they're all in pajamas and then Buffy gets up and she has this really great speech and then she's and then the music cuts and she says that would have been more dramatic if I wasn't wearing my yummy sushi pajamas <laughs> yeah so, I mean it's it's that exact same kind of play on humor yeah I just never watched that show I watched like a couple episodes I watched the finale of Angel we talked about that but Mm -hmm. you need to watch it from the beginning maybe someday maybe maybe okay well you've seen Firefly yeah I'm pretty happy with that Yeah. yeah I like it I liked it a lot quite a bit yeah same sense of humor. <laughs>